What really shows us and what really shows you what you're really made of, who you really are, what you're really about is how you respond when things go wrong, how you respond when the chips are down, how you respond when you're talked about, when you're mistreated, when people overlook you. You really get to see what you're made of. And I think if the same thing is true, especially in the, as it relates to our Christian faith, it doesn't really matter how high you lift your hands and how loudly you sing when things are going well. When your bank account's at that level where you're comfortable, where the cupboards are full, where your relationships are intact. What really is very telling is how you are, who you are, what you do, how you respond, how you act, how you react when things go crazy. When the challenges of life press on you and, and try to get you to compromise, try to get you to, to throw in the towel, or try to get you to forsake what you know is right. This is the essence of real faith. And we say real faith because we assume by saying real faith that there's a fake or counterfeit faith floating around. That there's something that looks like faith, there's something that talks like faith, something that has the face of faith, but deep down it doesn't really go deep. So what this series is designed to do is really identify through stories from the scriptures what it really looks like to have real faith. And we've been looking at characters from the Bible in both the Old and New Testament. I'm really excited about this series. I've really had to do some self-examining as I've looked at the last couple of weeks of sermons. And even as I look forward to the, the stories that we'll cover in the Bible, passages that we'll cover in the future, they... They, they, they're, they're proving to be very challenging and very telling in my own life. And just so that we're all on the same page, I like the definition of faith that the, the book of Hebrews gives us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It says, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things that we cannot see. And that confidence that faith gives us is the confidence that God is who he says he is, that he's the real deal. And not only is he the real deal, but because he's the real deal, he's worthy of our trust. He's worthy for us to, as I always say, lean the full weight of our life on him. The full weight of our life on him. How many of you know that God is an all or nothing God? You know, he wants all of you. God doesn't have all of you. He doesn't have you. He doesn't want you to just, okay, God, I'll give you this piece today and I'll take this piece back. Or I'll give you consideration. Oh, God wants all of you. He wants you to lean the full weight of your life. Just as you lean the full weight of your body on the chair because you believe, you're confident in the fact that that chair will hold you up. The same is true as it relates to our faith in God. He wants us to lean our full weight of our life, our finances, our relationships, our business dealings, our vocation. Everything, the full weight of that on him that shows us that we genuinely have confidence in him. And that confidence, of course, as we said week after week, is expressed by nothing other than obedience. Listening, internalizing the commands that Jesus gives us and living those out in everyday life, especially, friends, when life gets tough. Especially when you're forced to compromise. Especially when doing so will cost you a great deal of money, relational capital, whatever. It's especially expressed, our faith, real faith that is, by obedience. In this series, we'll take a look at heroes of the faith and look at the distinguishing marks of people of faith, and that's who I want to be. That's what I claim to be, and I just want to look at what the scripture has to say. We opened the series a couple weeks ago talking about the story of Abraham and how faith requires a sacrifice, how Abraham was obedient and took his son up to sacrifice him only before um, the, the angel of the Lord stopped his hand. We looked last week uh, in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 1, 
uh, a message that we call Faith Requires a Stand. And we looked at how Daniel had to take a stand against the pagan regime, that he, the, the sort of pagan culture that he found himself in, in Babylonian captivity under the king Nebuchadnezzar. But last week we looked at what I called a soft stand. Not that Daniel was soft in any way, but Daniel's stand was more diplomatic. It wasn't a bold defiance. It was just, hey, can, I, this... You know, this, what you're asking me to do, king, doesn't quite jive with my faith. I'm not doing that, by the way. Can we work something out? So he's di- diplomatic. He took a softer approach to it. And this week I want to look at Daniel chapter 3, which shows, take, uh, shows us what it looks like to take a bold, defiant stand against the things that threaten to make us compromise in our life. So we're looking at Daniel chapter 3, and this message I'm simply call, calling Faith Requires a Stand Part 2. It's just the second installment. So this morning we're going to look at Daniel chapter 3. Starting at verse 1. There are Bibles, by the way, on the edges of your rows. Please bring your Bibles with you to church so you can turn to these scriptures. We'll also project them on the, on the screens. But let me pray for us this morning. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for this church. I thank you for the, the privilege that I have to come and to lead your people, to share the words that you've given me to speak um, to your people, Lord. We, we desperately want to know you. We desperately want to be people of real, authentic faith. And we look to you, Lord, we look to your word, we look to your scriptures to show us what that truly means, what that really looks like. And Lord, we just ask that you would illuminate the scriptures, Lord. We also pause this morning to just pray for the victims of the uh, shooting uh, massacre in, in Colorado, Lord. We just ask that you would be with those victims, be with those victims' families. There's a whole new normal that these people have to adjust to right now, Lord. There's lots of questions uh, that people have right now. And Lord, I just pray that your church would rise up. And be the answer to that. They, they, they would comfort these people and help them make sense of all this. Lord, we stand with the churches, the, particularly the vineyard churches in the greater Denver area and the churches in the suburbs and, and uh, the Denver area. And we just ask, Lord, that you would just bring your peace to them and give them wisdom as to how to direct people through that tragedy, Lord. This morning we ask that you put power on these words that you've given me to speak. That you would move me out of the way so that your truth and your light may shine through. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're looking at Daniel chapter 1. This is a rather long passage, so don't check out on me, but just read along with me. There's some really good stuff in here, and I think that this will really help us out as we try to navigate what it means to not only be a person of real faith, but what it means to be a person that sort of um, models that faith by taking a bold stand when a bold stand is necessary. Verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 90, I'm sorry, 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all these officials came and stood before the, king, the statue of King Nebuchadnezzar that he had set up. Verse 4. Then a herald shouted out, people of all races and nations and language, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and the other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will be immediately thrown into a blazing furnace. Verse 7, so at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. In other words, they tattled on them. Verse 9, they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. 
You issued a decree requiring all people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and other musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Verse 13, then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace, and then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Verse 19, Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king, in his anger, had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, Did we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound and walking about in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come out here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angels to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make this decree, if any people, whatever race or nation or language, speak a word against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb and their house will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other god who can rescue like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. What a fantastic story. What a fantastic true story. And if you're like me, you grew up on this story at Sunday school and different Bible study lessons. And this was a really cool story even when I was a kid, especially when I was a kid. It was one of my favorites. It still is. But I tell you, this story has new meaning as I look at it through adult eyes. The story has new meaning for me as I navigate the challenges of this world, particularly those that put pressure on me to bend and conform to the ways of this world. I said last week that we're strangers, much like, much like Daniel was and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, 
and Abednego that strangers in a foreign land. We're citizens of the kingdom, but yet we live here. We, we submit ourselves to God, his rule and reign, yet we live here. And we have to submit ourselves to uh, the rules and the, 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 the laws of this, this country and the laws of this world. We are part of the culture of Christ. We're people of Jesus' culture, yet we're swimming, we're living in, we're surrounded in, we're pressed in on every side by this culture and the world and the people around us. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is how then shall we live when we're in a strange place? How shall we operate when we're in a strange place? How should we interact with this culture that God has put us in here to love, to influence, to be salt and light, as the scripture says? How are we supposed to interact? How are we supposed to be? Who are we supposed to be in a place like this? So as I look at this story, fascinating story, with eyes, adult eyes, as I process the challenges that I have in my own life, it has new meaning for me. And the first thing that stands out to me is, is all of these um, stories that we've been looking at. It's the strong persons of faith that we see in the three Hebrew boys. The three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's a great picture of the way that we have to swim against, swim against the grain of this culture. Deal with the, the ills and all of the, the pressures of this culture in this life. I like how, verse one, how the opening of this passage opened up. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue... 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and set it up in the plain of Dur in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come and dedicate the statue he had set up. So all these officials came and stood before the statue of King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And I just think this is a great picture. It's a great example of how the world around us has all these things, all these idols that we could possibly serve, all of these things that, that, that demand our attention, all these things that the people around us seem very, very interested in. And then up until the point where the king gives a decree that everybody's supposed to worship this thing, this is just one of those things that has just polluted the, the culture. In other words, this is just one of those things that Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego had to deal with, much like being given new names once they were plucked out of Jerusalem and taken to Babylon. Much like they were forced to uh, try to have a certain diet and forced to learn the language and forced to deal and live in the culture, it was just one of those things that they just had to sort of deal with as something around them, right? And many of us face that. The music that we have to deal with, all, you know, the, 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 the culture around us, we, we just have to deal with these things. And there are some things that are just nuisances for us, but they really don't affect us directly. It makes our life harder because we have to divert our eyes or we have to be more selective about what we do and what we say and who we hang out with and what media we consume and all these sorts of things. They're just nuisances in our life. But, 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 but there comes a point where those things evolve, as they always do, into something that directly affects us. Something that pushes us to the place where we have to decide, am I going to get wrapped up in this or am I going to swim, go the other way? Am I going to compromise with this thing, or am I going to live this life according to how God says to live it? So up until the, you know, verse, verse, verse 3 or 4, we're just dealing with this new nuisance, this new issue. This king has gone crazy. He's very narcissistic, very polytheistic, and I can deal with that. But look at, at verse 4. Things start to progress. These things start to directly affect them. Now the herald shouted. Somebody's yelling, at, you know. In, in declaring this new law, people of all races and nations and language, listen to the king's command. This is a command now. This directly affects them. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground and worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. So all, now, now this isn't just something I can ignore. 
This isn't something I can just say, oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, he's at it again. He's, he's erected a new statue, right? Or oh, that subculture over there, they're doing that thing they do again. Or my neighbor, he's being a fool again. Or the people at school or the people at work, they're doing godless things again. Let me just go into my cubicle. Let me go into my dorm room. Let me escape into my prayer closet. All of a sudden, this, the rubber's hitting the road now. We're about to see what these young men are made of. Because now, this is a decree. This is something the king says you have to do. This has come to your doorstep right now, much like many of the things do in our culture, as they progress. As they progress into something more serious. As they progress into something that's more challenging. As they progress into something that pulls on us and says, listen, you've got to do this now. Where do you stand on this now? What do you believe? How are you going to live this out now? And this is exactly what happened. This is a progress now to not only a command, but a command and a decree that comes with severe punishment should you choose not to obey. King says, listen, if you don't bow down and worship this statue, I don't care who you are. I don't care what color you are. I don't care whether you're from Babylon or Jerusalem or wherever we plucked you out of. If you refuse to bow down and worship this statue, there are going to be severe consequences. You're going to be thrown into a blazing furnace. The rubber has met the road. The rubber has met the road. And even as I give this general example, as we see in the scriptures, some of you can think of the very tangible, very real examples of how this plays out in your own life. The places in your life, the people in your life that constantly pull on you, constantly challenge what you say you believe. Constantly challenge who you say you are. Constantly challenge your allegiance to this God that you talk about. The Jesus that's written on your shirt. The Jesus that's on the bumper sticker of your car. Suddenly, we come to a place where we have to make a decision. We have to live this out. And as I finished last week's message, the, I, I, I had an opportunity to talk with several people in our congregation here who, who actually had to live this out this week who actually were faced with opportunities to take a stand. I just want to say, by the way, that when we think about taking a stand, sometimes we get in our mind these, these evil sin issues that we have to take a bold stand against. And we certainly have to do that on a regular basis, if you're anything like me. But I just want to take the sort of really devious face off of this. It's not just necessarily sin issues that we have to stand up against. Sometimes it's just God told you, don't do that. Like he told the Nazarites, listen, don't cut your hair. That wasn't a sin to have long hair, but he, he told Samson, he said, listen, don't, you, don't, you don't cut your hair. You don't go near, near dead animals. You don't do this. So, so sometimes we're talking about things that God has told you simply not to do, to take a stand against that. My wife has uh, given me permission to share a story. Just this week, she was offered, um, last week I should say, she offered a, a promotion at work that would give us significant, uh, significantly more income each year. And it would also give her an opportunity to move closer to her dream position. Uh, with the park district. It was an absolute, uh, absolute blessing if you just looked at it from the outside of it. But when she took this job, when she left her teaching profession and she took this job, God clearly spoke to her, cl- clearly spoke to us that she was supposed to work this job for two years. We clearly heard that God speak that. So in comes her boss with this fantastic opportunity to make more money, to move up the ladder, and to put her in a position to be where she wants. And, and listen, we had, to, we had to make the decision that we were going to refuse that job. 
And we weren't going to, to take that job. Now, this isn't some dastardly sin issue that we had to st- take a stand against. But we had to take a stand because the command of the Lord for us was that we were not to do that. And my wife, she'll tell you, she's very sad to console her on many occasions this week as she just grieved over the loss of this opportunity coming and gone. But listen, we're people of faith. And God has commanded us to take a stand. Another venue member told me uh, about how he and his wife are just challenged to just take a stand in some situational things in their life regarding their finances and regarding their health and things like that. And they just had sort of been letting things go. And they were encouraged last week that this was a time to take a stand and, 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 and be obedient to what the Lord had said. Another venue member reflected that they had, were given an opportunity to really do some um, underhanded things in their, in their uh, business practice. An opportunity came where they could be paid a certain way and, and go around the way that things are supposed to be happening and really challenged them to figure out what they believed and really to walk the talk. The pressures of life had come in and said, hey, listen, this, we can make this thing happen. We can do this thing and nobody will know but me and you. But the person called me and reflected that they passed that test. They passed that test. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is, these are not hypothetical situations where we're just trying to figure out, well, what is God saying here? This is stuff that happens every single day, choices that we have to make that show us if we really believe what we talk about, if we really believe what we sit in this church each and every week and listen to, what we discuss in small groups, what we read about in our Bibles during our devotion time. We really have to figure out if we truly, if we truly believe this stuff. So we get to the fa- my, my favorite part in the whole story where the, the Hebrew boys take their stand. Obviously, you know, obviously that's what we're talking about. We're talking about people of faith taking a stand against the things that are godless, taking a stand against the things that go against the grain of what God has told us to do generally and what God has told us to do specifically. So we look in this story and see where the Hebrew boys take a stand. Verse 8, but some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. They said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. Oh, king, you're so great. You're so awesome. By the way, didn't you issue a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and other musical instruments? That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. Listen, somebody didn't like the fact that these Hebrew boys had taken a stand. They didn't like the fact that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who had been promoted, by the way, who had gained the favor of the king's officials, and who had gained the favor of the king, these boys who had been promoted, these guys from, these Jews from Jerusalem, these astrologers says, man, these guys are showing us up. They're interpreting the king's dreams. They're making us look bad. We're getting demotions, and they're getting promotions, and they're not even listening to the king. They didn't like that. So they went and informed on them. They went and tattled on them. They continue in verse 12, but there are some Jews, and that some Jews is significant, I'll mention that later. There are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. So listen, man, these guys that you put in power over us, they're not even, they're not even listening to your decrees. Here's these guys, they took a stand, they said, we're not doing that, and these guys are informing on them. I heard a a quote uh, a while ago that says, you know, what you do when you take a stand is you naturally locate those who are still sitting down. 
When you take a stand, you naturally also, at the same time when you take a stand, you naturally locate those who are still sitting down. And this is why it's so hard in this culture to take a stand and to live for Christ. Because when you take a stand, when you refuse to do some things, people seem to take offense to that, don't they? Don't they? Hey, why don't you come out to us? We're going to go to the strip club. No, man, I'm good. I'm, I'm going to go home to my wife. Oh, well, you think you're better than us? You heard me say I'm better than you because I said no. But people don't like that. Hey, why don't you come and do this? Hey, why don't you participate in this? Uh, no, I'm good. What they hear is, hey, man, what, what, are you judging me now? You're better than me now? You think you're hot stuff? And you said you've been going to that church, you're no fun anymore. Since you've been listening to that preacher, you're no fun anymore. We want the old Shannon back. We want the old Mark back. That guy didn't take a stand for anything. People get offended. They're bothered when you take a stand. Why? Because it locates them as a person who's still just sort of blowing in the wind. Doing all the stuff that's destructive, that they know is destructive. All the stuff that's getting them absolutely nowhere. And when you decide to pull yourself out of their life and do something different. And to stand for something. It bothers them. Such is the case here with these guys. Now verse 12 says, but there are some Jews. He's talking specifically about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Which suggest that there are other Jews that were pulled from Jerusalem and brought into the Babylonian culture to be trained as, uh, as, as noble servants, they'd gone along with it. They'd gotten comfortable in Babylon. They thought, man, this is a good life. The king's giving us a special diet. We're getting promotions. This is the best, you know, bout of captivity that we've ever had. We better just sort of go along with things. And perhaps some of them did so even in good conscience, figuring that God understands our situation. He knows that we're in captivity. And we're just sort of going to go along with these pagan things, even though the commandments say have no other gods before me, even the, though the commandments say put God first and have no, you know, have no one before him, even though the, 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 the scriptures explicitly say that. There are some Jews from Jerusalem who were sort of going along with this thing, which made matters even worse for the Hebrew boys. And this became an issue, but here is where the rubber meets the road. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him, and, that they were brought, and when they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship. One more chance to do it. Isn't it interesting how you get so many chances to do wrong? Are you sure you don't want to do that? Are you sure you don't want to take this offer? I mean, have you considered the consequences? Have you considered the benefits? Have you considered what you're staying there? This is a really good deal. This deal may not be here tomorrow. You're going to die if you don't do this. Are you sure? I'm going to give you one more chance. The pressure is being applied. The screws are being turned. And yet, there's a choice to be made. Do I cave? Do I sink? Or do I swim? And not only swim, do I swim against the current that's so strong? Do I swim against the current that's causing me to compromise and causing me to bring shame to the name of the Lord? causing me to look like somebody who speaks with a forked tongue, who says godly things in one voice and does another, who's inviting me to church, but all doing the same things I do. 
Sink or swim. He says, I'm giving you one more chance to worship the golden statue. And sometimes these challenges, just make light of it. Listen, it's just a statue. Listen, it's just a simple gesture. Listen, you don't even have to, you don't even have to stay down that long. Just, just, just dip and get back up. I like you guys. I really like you guys. I don't, want, I don't want to do this to you. I'm giving you one more chance to bow. But if you refuse, I'm going to have to do what I said. I'm going to have to throw you into the fire. The king says. And here's the money verses right here. Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. We don't need to defend ourselves uh, uh, before you. Now, this is a very different picture than we saw in, uh, in chapter 1. Daniel was very humble. I imagine that he was speaking in a low voice. He said, listen, man, can we work this out? Can we reach an agreement? Can we come to terms so that we can have a mutually satisfying arrangement here? Let's work this out. This doesn't even have to get back to the king. Just bring us some of that fruit salad out of the back, and we'll just, we'll just get on with this thing. This is very different. This is very different. This situation calls for a bold, on-record stand against what is evil and what is wrong. And there's no diplomacy here. There's no discussion about, can we make an arrangement? There's this bold defiance. He says, listen, we don't have to defend ourselves to you. And you just didn't talk to the king that way. You didn't talk to the king that way. We live in a democratic society where you can say anything you want to the president. You can say anything you want. And it'd be okay. Might even get quoted in the newspaper. But not so in Babylon. You didn't talk to the king this way. You didn't defy him like this. This is a bold stand, make no mistake. He continues in verse 17. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power. Wow, what a bold statement. Talk about leaning the whole weight of your faith and the whole weight of your life, putting your hands, putting your life in the hands of the Lord. Standing in front of this king saying, listen, king, do with us what you will, bro. We serve somebody who's got a little more rank than you. Serve somebody whose arms are a little bit longer than yours. And the fire that my king has is a little hotter than yours, which you likely experience. Says, listen, man, do what you need to do. God can rescue. My God is big. He can rescue me. Verse 18, I, I like this verse the best. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve or bow down to you. So verse 17 and verse 18 are very important for us. I'm going to spend a little bit of time there. Verse 17 says, listen, my God is able to rescue us from that hot furnace. He's able to rescue us from the fallout of taking a stand. Able to rescue us from the consequences, the natural and immediate consequences from taking this stand. My God is able to rescue me. He's able to sustain me. Make no mistake. He's able to do that. The, the second part of that verse supposes that God is willing to do that and that he will do that, which God most certainly is. But I think what's more important, what stands out to me the most is verse 18. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, in other words, this thing has the potential to go sour. This situation, the consequences have potential to turn out in a way that's not beneficial to us in this life. Our skin won't stand up well in that fire. We're thrown into there and God chooses not to rescue us. If that's not his plan, this thing could go south. But still, bro, we're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. And what does that say to us? 
that we're not obedient just because God can make it turn out well. Because oftentimes, to be frank, he simply doesn't. Things, according to our natural eyes, simply go south. We're given an opportunity to compromise in our business dealings. Sometimes we lose money. We leave money on the table. There's opportunities that we've lost. There's money that we didn't make that we'll never get back. Sometimes when we take a stand in relationships, we boldly defy the things that press against us in our relationships. Sometimes those relationships will never be the same. Ever. Some of you are grieving the loss of friends that you've lost because you've decided to follow Jesus. You're grieving the loss of family relationships that are never the same because you've decided to follow Jesus. You're dealing with your children being upset with you because you've chosen to raise them a certain way. You're dealing with that on a daily basis. And the list goes on and on and on because sometimes following Jesus doesn't immediately turn out the way that we'd hope. It's not the parting of the clouds and this ray of Holy Ghost sunlight that fixes the thing uh, as it stands. So the brothers say, listen, even if it doesn't work out, even if God doesn't rescue us, we'll just be some burnt offerings, man. We'll just be burnt offerings unto the king. And we're okay with that. We're going to deal with that. Because God demands obedience. We can't see around the corners. We don't know how he's going to work it out. We don't know. But God demands obedience. And let's look real quickly at the king's initial response. Because the king has two responses in this situation. But let's look at the king's initial response. Nebuchadnezzar, verse 19 says, was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So furious that his face became distorted with rage. You don't talk to me that way. You don't defy me that way. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times harder than usual. Come on, dude. You throwing them into the oven. Is it really necessary to make it harder? So put some more logs on that fire. Then he ordered some of the strongest men in this army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and throw them into the blazing furnace. He's making this huge show. His face gets all distorted. He's making the oven hotter, right? And he's saying, get some strong guys to do this. All this grandstanding, this talking loud, this making a big show to induce fear. Perhaps hoping that, hey, hey, maybe I can save some face here. Maybe these guys will turn. Maybe they'll deal the way I want to deal. And I will win the day here. Isn't it true of many of our circumstances as as we're right on the edge of making that decision? The consequences just seem to get a little more dire. They seem to be more serious. They seem to just kick things up a notch. People in our life just fuss a little bit more. Their affect a little more pronounced. Their anger and their words a little more sharp just at the moment when you're about to make a decision. Just at the moment where the rubber is meeting the road. This is what is happening with the king. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king and his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego securely died, fell into the roaring flames. There's immediate fallout for their taking the stand. This is what we have to fear. This is why we often turn away, right? This is why we often cave, because we see, we see that fire, that furnace over there. We see the blazing furnace. 
And it's at that last moment, some of us, we're real strong, we're real strong, we're real resolute up until we can smell that smoke and we can see the flames and we can begin to assess the consequences of taking a stand and many turn away at that point, but not these guys. They were thrown into the fire, thrown into the fire. But each and every week as we examine these characters, these stories from the Bible, I'm careful to highlight God's response to faithfulness. God's response to faithfulness. And I'm just going to sum it up here for time's sake. Suddenly Nebuchadnezzar, he jumps up in amazement. He's looking, he's waiting for this fire to consume these guys so he can seem powerful, so he can seem in charge, so he can seem in command of the situation. But he jumps up in his, from his chair. I'm imagining he can see this furnace from where he sits. And he wanted a front row show of their demise. And he sees in this fire that there's four guys walking around. He doesn't hear the screams like he normally hears seconds before people die and they're consumed by the fire. He isn't getting them begging to just be let out just for a moment. He sees three, four guys in there walking around real cool, real cool, hanging out, having a conversation, untouched, unscathed in this fiery furnace that's so hot that the people on the outside are being burned up. Then Nebuchadnezzar came close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, listen, man, come out here. Come out here. I want to talk to you guys. (laughs) I want to talk to you guys. Now, the hair on their heads was what was singed. Nothing on them was hurt. The, The scripture says they didn't even smell like smoke. Friends, God had come through for the faithful once again. He'd come through. For the faithful once again. And I want to encourage you today, particularly those of you who are dealing, some of you are dealing with situations right now. The pending issues right now where you got to get back to somebody and make a decision. The situations in your life that have deteriorated to the point where you have to take a stand right now or the thing will just completely go collapse. And I want to encourage you today, encourage you today that God rewards faithfulness. Often in this life, but if not this life, in the next. And I want to encourage you to look beyond this earthly life. We're citizens of the kingdom. And the kingdom will go on forever. The king will reign forever. So foolish of us. So human of us. So mortal of us to only consider this life. So ridiculous of us. To try to protect ourselves here and forsake our eternal destiny. So silly. So human. It's so common. And we all do it. But God rewards those that take a stand. God rewards those who take a stand. He shows himself strong and he gets all the glory out of it. I told you the king had two responses. Let's look at his final response as we close uh, this passage here. Verse 28. Then King Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach. And Abednego, he has sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. Listen, this guy is preaching now. He rescued his servants who trusted him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own. This god must be the real deal, he's thinking. Therefore, I make this decree. This guy likes to make decrees. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak any word against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, 
and Abednego. They will be torn limb from limb, presumably by lions. And their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no God who can rescue like this. This is the polytheistic king. The evil king that's captured God's people. Thrown them into captivity. It's trying to assimilate them into this pagan culture who's erected this huge God and demanded that everybody, even the Jews, serve him. Here and now he's preaching a sermon on God's greatness. He's heralding God's goodness and his awesome power. Isn't that something? Then it says the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. These Jews, these followers of the living God, are now, they're, they're, they're running the show in Babylon. They've been promoted. They've been given God's favor. And the king has a front row seat of this. Why is this important? This is important because if people don't respect the God you serve, what hope do we have for showing them that we've signed up for something that's beneficial to them? Every time we cave, every time we fold, though it pays sort of some immediate gratification, though we dodge an immediate bullet, we we, we give people reason to disrespect the thing that we love most. We give them reason to disregard God, to lump us in with all the church-going folks who live a completely different way, immediately following their worship services. And listen, sometimes my goal is not to convert people. Sometimes I just know that situationally, the person's just not in the position to, to accept the gospel. You know, King Nebuchadnezzar didn't convert. He didn't say, listen, get rid of all my gods. He said, no, but I respect the living God. These guys are the real deal. This God deserves some place near the top of the pecking order as it relates to the deities. The reason I live my life the way I live it, the reason I try to use the scriptures as a mirror to to, to get myself to the place where I'm representing God and I'm taking the stand when the stand is necessary, a big part of that is obedience because God said so. But the other part is I want people in my world, in my sphere of influence, in my circle, in my work, my job, where I go to school, what I play, my family, I want them to respect what I've chosen to believe. I want them to respect the living God. I want to put a flag up that says even if you're not ready right now, when you're ready to do this thing, for when you're looking for some answers, when you're looking for some people who really believe what they're talking about, when you're looking at some people who've really convinced that they have the best thing in town, when you're looking for that, then come to me. When you want to be healed because that you've exhausted all of the medical options, when you want some wisdom that only comes from above, listen, come and talk to me. That will never happen if you don't take a stand when a stand needs to be taken. It will never happen if you cave and you fold at the first sign of trouble. When you smell the smoke of the furnace and your knees begin to buckle and you get scared and you fold and you go the other way, it will never happen. People will never be convinced that you serve the true and living God and that that God can do anything for them. This is more than about our own personal salvation. It's more than about personal piety and personal goodness and personal uprightness. We are witnesses for the true and living God. And everybody's a witness. Make no mistake. You're either a good one or a bad one. Everybody is a witness. Every Christian is a witness. You're either uh, a good one or a bad one. You're either drawing people to the living God or you're pushing them away. 
You're either giving them a different opinion of Christians or you're confirming the bogus one that they have already. So all of a sudden, taking a stand is more than just for you and your relationship with God. It has more far-reaching implications. What are we talking about here? Life will test you. If we reach back to Daniel chapter 1, God will test you. The true measure of our faith is determined not where we stand when things are going well, but how we respond, how we react when things are going well, terribly, when we stand to lose a lot. The simple question I asked you this morning is, where are you? What accounts do you have open? What things are pending in your life that require you to take a stand? We're not necessarily talking about sin issues. We're talking about things where you need to make a call based on what God has told you through his word, told you specifically in your life, relationally, occupationally, parentally, as it relates to your role in the kingdom of God. You name it. The list goes on and on. Where are you and what will you do? Will you stand in the face of this or will you cave? My prayer for you is that you would fight, you would stand, you would be bold, you would be create courageous, you would be a witness to the goodness and the greatness of God. And my encouragement to you is that God always responds to those who are faithful to them faithful to him, always responds to those who take a stand. Worship team, you can come up. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. It's so hard to take these things in sometimes. It's so hard. To, to do what you've called us to do, especially when things look so enticing. The fallout from taking a stand looks so threatening. The fires of the furnace blaze hot. Smoke billows. People around us, they distort their face. They get angrier and their affect is just more pronounced. It's just so hard to make a good decision in light of all of that, in the face of all that. But Lord, you show us over and over and over in Scripture and over and over and over in the stories and the testimonies that we hear and read that you, O oh God, are faithful to those who are faithful to you. And that if we press into you and if we're faithful to you in the secret of our life, in the secret of our hearts, Lord, you are faithful to us in public. You reward us openly and outwardly. And you show your greatness for those of us who choose to take a stand. And Lord, I lift up those who, of us who are struggling to do this. Some are young in their faith or new to their faith or just the situation presents a challenge that they never had to deal with before and they're forced to choose between a family member and you. They're forced to choose between more income and you. They're forced to choose between this and you or that and you. Lord, I pray by your spirit that you would give courage to take a stand and do what we know to do and that you would reward that faithfulness like only you can. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.